Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Back in the day, oh, as we learned, a man was not considered to be considered to be Has he not gone beyond the hills? Has he not crossed the seven seas? Yes, now all them jokers kept around just like a scarecrow's in hometown. Yes, scarecrow's in hometown. From screen to screen, them traveling. But I'm a wanderlust king. Eugene. Here we are in the Masonic Lodge. My man, good to see you. Yeah. You okay? Yeah, alright. Actually, you know what? It'd be awesome to have a glass of wine too. Yeah. Want another one too? Why not? Will you drink it? Uh, it's just house. Yeah. Whatever, whatever they got. Um, yeah, maybe uh, if they have Bordeaux, uh, they don't back. You know. I love whatever best he's wine. having. He knows best his wine. wine they have. <laughs> How you been, man? All right. We're here in Santa's Grotto. Should we get cracking, or should we wait for the wine and toast and then begin? Which would you prefer? E- either way. Either way? Yeah. Let's get into it. So the last time I saw you was at Hyde Park, which was one of the best days of the year for me. Um, uh-huh. Lineup-wise, spectacular. Yeah. Uh, lots of old friends for you, I'm sure, as well, like of Jesse Malin, Jesse, Bob Gruen. Jesse. Yeah. It was a good day, wasn't it? Yeah. Bob was there to chronicle away. As he does. Long day, long night, yeah. Long, great night. What did you get up to then after the show? Oh, I think we ended up going to the something that did look like Masonic Lodge. Right. <laughs> with just about everyone who played that wow. night. And uh and uh way past the sun coming up. Nice. Uh, the full the full the full program, you know. The full conquistador pro- program. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many good people there's so many good bands there and the vibe out the front was just 
it was celebratory and it was what was great is that there was a group like a big cross section of age groups all in the crowd all sort yeah. of as one enjoying it because there was obviously older punk fans there for the stranglers and the downs oh, and those kind yeah of the bands. stranglers I, I actually sat down for a snack with them and that was great to meet them always loved the stranglers well that's one of the best times about our times is that it's actually um, cheers Paolo there are there are occasions where different age groups can dance around the same fire yeah you know that division seems to be obsolete not everywhere but in rock music I think it's uh, it's kind of happening it's clearly that you know uh, punk as an aesthetic and as a kind of this core of raw music uh, something that's more um, connected to you know the nervous system of the world is more uh, keeps giving people those vitamins whether they're new fans whether they're killed children of the you know people who invented that music or yeah or even grandchildren probably <laughs> yeah point. in that case I think so in that respect, I think it's a little better than, say, in, in, in hip-hop music, which is basically came to civil war point, you know, where the new rappers are just, like, completely not interested in being part of the lineage. Yeah. You know, and uh, unfortunately so. Um, which is a bad attitude, I think, for any art form, right? Is you have to respect and admire and... You don't Enjoy. have to. You don't know. But I mean, you know, I mean, Dadaists didn't respect anything. True. Know, and then they made great mm. jump start. But I think that Dada was just so radical on every level. It's like that was all about nihilism. Uh-huh. This is more just about like exploiting the formula that's really already exists and well established and making it more palatable. And still not acknowledging the people who invented the formula. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, which is ignorance, right? I don't know what it is. I don't want to judge, but I'm saying that in rock scene, this kind of gap of uh, generations is a little less pronounced. I think it's a testament to a band like Green Day as well, who can bring together <laughs> all those bands and those fans under one roof. Right, it takes quite a special band to be able to pull in. They certainly have the power to do that. Yeah. They friends of yours? I know you and Trey are buddies, right? Yeah, I mean, over the years, we became friends. You know, it's always exciting to find out someone that is apparently appreciator and and quite uh, well knows your music, you know, and that's awesome, you know. I mean, that's a good part of life. Cheers. That's, yeah. That's okay. Toast. The wine is here. Yeah. I, I just get up. So let's. Uh, you're still coming around. Yeah. Are we? Have we started yet? Yeah. This is it, dude. We're in it. Oh. All right. We're well, in the moment. Let's fucking let's give it not, one more jump start. Let's not let it pass us by. Yeah. I like to just ease in, you know, rather than dinner, fanfare. Here we go. Right. Just unwind and <clears throat> kick back and 
and have a chat. I wanted to talk to you first of all about Jesse because I had Jesse on the show recently, Jesse Mallon. Uh-huh. I love that guy. Great energy, great storyteller. And I know because I've seen him wear your T-shirts on stage now maybe four times that he's a huge admirer of you guys and what you do. Jesse is like a guardian angel of, you know, rapidly ex- extinguishing uh, New York rock and roll street uh, culture, you know, all the all the bars that... Uh, uh, all these kind of small institutions that he's part of or owns in New York they're kind of committed to still giving the gigs to you know like fathers of no wave like uh, James Chance you yeah. know and, and and suicide and and uh, or making you know this kind of tradition tradition of like the cramps tribute I mean, tra- cramps are not from New York, but they spend enough time in New yeah, York yeah. to be like... A, honorary members. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Honorary, right. honorary members of that cohort. And um, so, you know, that that kind of people, uh, are, it's a very important, important post to hold. And uh, he's doing it with all the knowledge of it and, and with the passion of it, you know, being such a long member of its community, you know, and... You know, and I think he's been playing punk bands in, in New York City since early 80s, something like that. I know? think he did, he did his first gig when he was 12 years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. You always see his pictures. And heart like, attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, heart attack. He's kind of like the mayor of the Lower East Side, isn't he? I know he would probably hate that term if he heard it, but he's certainly a protector, isn't he? And he's a, a guiding light. Yeah, well, you know, I can call him a mason of thirty yeah. fourth uh, degree <laughs> of Lower East Side. <laughs> How did you meet? Do you remember the night you met? Um, I don't remember exact night we met, but it's probably was somewhere in Niagara, right? Perhaps Which is most, one of his bars. Right? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. I used to live two blocks down, and I think it was quite early on that I was in New York maybe 1998 1999 and uh, actually I think it's probably was on the same night when um, there was a show of uh, Joe Strummer and Mescaleros and the after party was in in Niagara and back in that day I just I remember my address books from those days and uh, I remember how Everybody I met was kind of in a chronological order. You know, it was before the digits yep. kicked in, really. Uh, at least I didn't have them. And uh, I think that his number is there, like, in the... Yeah, I could go and dig it up, but <laughs> it's somewhere in those years, you know, and uh, in the mix with a lot of amazing names that just all suddenly became part of my uh, telephone book. <laughs> It was, magical time place, it was right? like you know getting transferred from my bookshelf yeah into the into living in that bookshelf now because you know the all the great creators from uh that time you know Jim Jarmusch and you know and people just from many bands they just suddenly were like at these parties and and suddenly I was getting introduced to them or just meeting them yeah, it was a pretty crazy time. I think I, I'm very glad that I caught that last call of the last call of New York City party, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like it's kind of over? I think that the party is 
pretty much over. I think it's transforming into something else. I mean, I think the, as a workshop, it's still there. For me, New York was always primarily uh, a workshop. Like, it's just kind of a place where, like, suddenly I didn't feel like the farthest fucking outcast possible. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because you're surrounded my by like-minded outside. Well, suddenly it wasn't like, it wasn't like like-minded. Actually, I was still anomaly in New York, but, um, you, you, you know, at least I, I was not, I didn't feel outcasted. Like I felt like I was just like a different, uh, you, you know, I was a part of the jury of anomalies, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, uh, and that was fine by me. But, um, when I came to New York, it was very, um, the idea of New York coolness was very um, well established and it had its own status quo, which I couldn't. And a hierarchy? I don't know if it's really hierarchy because uh, it's, but, but there is a certain status quo for sure where, you, you know, it, it, you. You'd see people. People were only black, and you yeah. know, John Spencer ruled the '90s in New York City, and uh, and that kind, of, which I admire. I love John Spencer, Blues, Blues Explosion, but you know, that kind of one gets replicated in so many different ways. Yeah. So of course, I I, I wanted to uh, throw a completely just a, a bouquet of wildflowers into everybody's face and uh, start a different kind of hang all together. And started a completely different CBGB, and which we did, you know, um, which became known as you know, the Bulgarian Bar Mehanata. It just became a scene of its own, where all of those people ended up coming to, and you know, from initial. Uh, and it wasn't antagonistic. It was just like, hey, it's New York City. Hey, we're anomaly from abroad. Hey, let's be friends. Hey, uh, this is our kind of rock and roll. It's not so different from your kind of rock and roll. It's just slightly more uh, loose and gnarly. <laughs> yeah, but there, it's the same, right? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. It's existential rage in the bottom of it, and trying to make sense of the unfathomable. Um, you can put it that way. Uh, just letting the soul breathe, really. Yeah. In a world of matrix, essentially, and schedules, and and you know. Yeah, you know, giving the voice to the soul and giving other people a oasis or a rest stop for their um, for their kind of uh, uh, you know some kind of warmth inside. I mean, why do people even group into these kind of bands and scenes? It's seeking for warmth, seeking for. Uh, uh, its own idea of family, trying to create a family that's uh, an alternative family. A family, uh, I think. I think it's just uh, anthropologically speaking, probably breaks into that. That it's people's quest for uh, um, opposite of loneliness, and uh, and finding quite democratic structure in it. You know, I mean, of course, every band has a leader. Or uh, a certain dynamic that provides sense of direction. 
but it's still quite democratic compared to like you know uh, <laughs> some kind of a a big company, a, a or company yeah. or a, yeah, some kind of a rigid, more rigid structure. And I think it's it's quite loose and fun, and people feel more um, more valued and, and worthy in these kind of. Um, uh, little societies called bands or scenes rather than somewhere uniformic, you know. I had a nice moment at the bar with a couple of your crew, uh, obviously on the day off. And mm -hmm. It was nice for me because I do a bit of touring and I go on the road with bands and sort of DJ between acts and keep the sort of party lifted in, you know, the set changeover. And it was really nice to dip my finger today into that touring environment and that touring family, you know, because it is quite a specific universe isn't it and each band has their own little one and then you orbit it each is. other and it is i mean if you observe it's quite different from band to band yeah um we kind of roll in a way that's it's a bubble and uh, as, as they all are yeah yeah but it, it is kind of um um the, the, the crew their their um you know their humor and their kind of personalities is essential too and um, who's the guy with the stick? Has he been with you a long time? Well, that's Frankie. He's a uh, he, he's he really hurt his foot on the, on the beginning of the tour. Uh, well, we just need to get him now a, a pirate, a, a, a papugaya, and a parrot on the shoulder, and you know, <laughs> and <a patch laughs> he's set to go. You know, um, he, I mean, he's Dutch. You know, he's the mm -hmm. pirate roots and everything is there. <laughs> He looked tough as hell, you know. He is even tough on, as hell. I have not, I, you know, I'm not like any near as resilient uh, as as he is. Uh, oftentimes, I see, I see him just like smoking outside with a t-shirt. Well, while I'm like in three layers, <laughs> and like, yeah, I'm like a Jewish grandmother, you know, yeah, like yeah, running yeah. around telling everybody to put on their scarves, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's, he's like that kind of old school foot soldier of rock and roll, isn't it? I, it's unbelievable. Been in the trenches, it's and like these guys juggling in from the morning, cases of gear, you know, and uh, it's it's quite amazing to witness. I think for me, and maybe you could share your thoughts. I think in the last ten years, especially mm -hmm. the live show has really become like the life source. And I mean, it's always been hugely important, but I feel like since the change and shift in the record industry and the way that the business side of it works, and CDs and album sales and things like this, I feel like in the last decade the live show has taken on a whole new importance. Would you agree with that? Well, it's back to the original. I mean, it's like we're moving into post-digital age. Yeah. You know. It's the only thing you can't <laughs> download, right, or replicate. Yeah. Or. It's like, um, you know, it's, uh, it's the essence of it. And, and also I think it's a reflection of the factor that pe uh, people really, they don't have enough attention to to really listen to anything I mean, maybe a song, maybe half of the song usually these yeah. days. But when you go on a show, you're less likely to ignore. Yeah. And, as, and uh, if you are staying at the show, so you, have, you get about two hours of soaking in this kind of a different vibration, um, which is you know which can be pretty beneficial for your 
Yeah, your your well being yeah, for yeah. your your state of mind. Going going soul, back yeah. to your just in, in initial like, what is even our music and art all about? It's it's really a therapy, you know. It really is. Yeah, it's not any other really purpose to it. I think it's hugely interesting as well because and it's ritualistic, but oh, the rituals sure. are also way of uh, making friends with reality, you know. Yeah. He's up. So I think today as well with technology and with phones, if you go anywhere, if you go into a bar, if you go on a train, everyone's like this, right? Head down on their phone. And yeah. I think that's the one safe haven of the concert as well is obviously people take out their phone and they film bits, but it's one of those few places left in society where the phone's kind of away for most of the night and they're in the moment and they're present. Well, you know it's away when you're at our show. There yeah. will be no chances. <laughs> yeah. You know? And that's one of the things that I'm always kind of uh, very proud of is that we give like pretty much several hours of you know uh, authentically uh, cathartic times and uh, you know this whole aspect of you know now even the young kids you know they post like um, things about that are about detrimental aspects of social media and there's an article in, in, in the Guardian today how you know social media is tearing society apart yeah it's not news uh I've been writing about it for years. I mean, before it even appeared, really. Not because I'm a so far sight of a, you know, a visionary, mm-hmm. but because you don't need to be. It's quite, you know, from screen to screen, them traveling. Um, you know, it's opening lines of Wanderlust King song. It's precisely about this. Yeah. People stare in one screen as they, as soon as they wake up, then they go to another screen. To do their job and return home and stare on another screen—that's their life. They're asleep. They're living in the in the matrix of a, of a Nazi zombie existence. Yeah. Existence, and uh, you know when you say something like that, it's like sounds like humorous science fiction. But well, we're in it, is, aren't we? Is this it? is the present. This is yeah. our present reality, isn't it? Yeah. So a lot of percentage of people are kind of locked into it. Their attention is not available uh, for anything except. Uh, except when maybe you take them out out of it and kind of, you know, present them with something really raw and kind of like physical and uh, story oriented and, uh, and and just kind of rambunctious in, in all these ways. So that's kind of the Gogol Bordello gist, you know, is kind of tell that story in such a way that it rattles all your cells <laughs> and that's what you do right what took you to america in the first place eugene if you don't mind me asking a uh, boeing boeing uh 254 or what's the name of that model all right no <laughs> the boeing what was the reason for moving there was it a sense of adventure a need to start afresh well i think that our family was uh, kind of destined to go through this. I mean, I think that my father was in such a West pro Western wavelength. You know, by the time I even appeared, he sp- he spoke great English. I didn't speak any English till I got to the states. Um, he was very pro Western in uh, his taste and music and. 
and uh, you know feng shui and all that kind of stuff we were like a total <laughs> oasis of like freakaholic kind of fantasy in, in Ukraine you know or like weekend was not like any other family weekend from my schoolmates you know we were always like out for some like hedonistic picnic with like you know France who were also like listening to rock music and um, or just like having some kind of a party where there was some kind of like a spontaneous theater was involved and and and, uh, and, and uh, I mean we were listening to Parliament Funkadelic like who the fuck does that in Ukraine nobody especially not, then. Uh, not even until now yeah <laughs> now not anymore and back then not yet and uh, it never happened and my father was like having friends with like some exchange students and some diplomats uh, and he was always getting the records of like really kind of cutting edge bands like war mm -hmm. you know I mean I think war is pretty cutting edge band I mean it is it's like when in the late play music though in the band where black music and Hispanic music was cross-pollinating that's like in the time when the, those gangs were like exterminating each other mm -hmm. that's pretty radical yeah that's an outstanding band so you know all this kind of exposure to these beats and these sensibilities you know I I kind of um, and all this uh, books and literature that my uncle had my father's brother he was, he was a painter or he's a painter and and his wife was a, a psychiatrist so yeah, I could always get my hands on something that was not on a bookshelf in a store. Do like, you mean novels or actual sort of medical or scientific texts? No, psychology. Right. I mean, in a, in a state of dictatorship, which Soviet Union was, you yeah. could not read any Carl Jung or Nietzsche. Like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's like, it wasn't available. Like, nobody ever knew those people existed unless they had access to <coughs> special library for research. So that kind of schools of thought were out of the question. You couldn't have any conversations with anybody about that. And so those sources were like basically mega important for me, you know. You know, of course I looked through like my uncle's books and, you know, painting and sculpture, chiefly looking for, you know, uh, images of naked women. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is porn pre-internet. Yeah, this course. is like, yeah. this is like, you know, wow, <laughs> this is a full, <laughs> full library of that. And uh, along with that, you know, I read it around it and started kind of getting hold of this ideas that, you know, Freudian thing and how, you know, it was all like all these critical uh are articles about how like the Western society is rotten to the core and yeah. all their society, you know, and so you know all their uh, their, their libido is uh, is satanic and like you know, but you could see between the lines, you know, that you could see the propaganda. Ah, okay, that the, there is a libido and that's the drive. Okay, <laughs> all that education that happened was actually happened in my very short 
circle of s several houses of my relatives, really. I just picked and, and looked stuff up and, because I was lucky enough to have that in my access. Yeah, and as you say, were you pretty much the only kid that you knew who did have access to all that stuff? There was one other friend that I had. His name is Serik and uh, Sergey. He was my classmate and uh, who, whose family had encyclopedia of from the Tsarist time. So that was published in like you know, 1905 or 010. So it had like Nietzsche and Schopenhauer and uh, a lot of uh, Immanuel Kant, you know, and like all these like philosophers that were fundamental. So once we kind of like with him, I could talk about all the kind of sort of things and also go to his apartment and just spend like time with all these books. Because, yeah, I don't, I, it was probably illegal to have it, but they had that full set of however 30 volumes or whatever. And uh, it was a family reliquia, or how you call it, you know, like it was passed on from, the, from his. Like a from collection. Dynasty, from dynasty, yeah. And uh, so that was another source of information that we were like all jazzed about, yeah. Yeah. And did you move to the States with your family or did you go alone? Oh, no, I just moved with my family. You did? Yeah. yeah absolutely. And you said when you arrived, you didn't speak? I had speak. no power to execute anything like that when I was 17. Right. Yeah. And so you arrive, is it New York that your family moved to? We moved to... Uh, well, we were hoping to move to New York, but we got quickly relocated to Vermont. Right. Which is my next seven years in the States were there, you know. Like a Tom Waits song, Moonlight in Vermont. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the great people like Tom Waits, I mean, the thing that really warmed my heart, uh, chiefly about Vermont, is that Montreal, you know, Leonard Cohen's hang was like an hour and a half away. So that's where I saw most of the great shows, really. Who did you see back in that um, time? Well, just about anybody, yeah. you know, that was coming through, you know, John Spencer back, uh, you know, Fugazi Nirvana, you know, um, I was just going in Nine Inch Nails, just going and seeing shows. Uh, Nick Cave, uh, most importantly. He's the uh, magic. It was like a Lollapalooza thing, which was really odd. It was the first time I saw um, Bad Seeds was in, in this like a daylight in this really like a horrendous kind of a parking lot kind of a situation. And uh, and uh, it didn't all, it all didn't matter to me. <laughs> I was I was just completely zoned fucking, in on them, foc very focused on that experience. And have you ministry, with Nick? You know, well over the years, of course, I we met like briefly, you yeah. know, um, cross pathing here and there. I mean, he's a special man, isn't he? I think his greatest songwriter alive and uh, I'm not the only one who is of that opinion but I think there is something extra even to that saying yeah you know there is just a deeper connection to um, 
kind of a raw spirituality. Yeah. Because there's a lot of spirituality now these days that, uh, you know, it's like uh, packaged nicely and Mm -hmm. all this kind of... uh, He's earthy, isn't he? Well, you it's get that it's sense quite, of timelessness. It's, it's and timeless and it's it, it, it's earthy and it's loose and gnarly, you know, and 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 Australian in a way of like uh, it's kind of a little bit, uh, huh? The, yeah, that's like a, hard to put in words. Mm-hmm. Basically, going back to kind of spirituality and energy of 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 his kind of a pursuit is is really reminds me of like um people like Strindberg you know that just had this drive that could undertake just about anything and turn it into gold uh, or turn it into at least like a golden dust of some kind and as and Jesse would say glitter in the gutter something like that yes yeah yeah and and it's like um, and it's consistent, you know, and it's really impressive in that way. That and it's not just music either, is it? It's films, it's scripts. It's well, that's books, what I mean. It's, it's just can be just about anything can be undertaken because I think Strindberg went as far as like botany, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know, like anything will Imagine do. Imagine if you woke up on the surgeon's <laughs> table and Nick Cave's there with the mask and the. <laughs> uh, botanical gardens sure here we go <laughs> actually great place to write I wrote a lot on botanical gardens in Rio in Rio de Janeiro they have several of them so anyway you know Montreal was a great place to um, see see just live music that was vibrant and like happening at that time you know so I, I hated it in initially being like stationed in Vermont by my like uh, the refugee program you know the, how it works but then I kind of eased in into it I was like actually this is not so bad at all and as you know it's quite a well progressively ran and it's very like uh, aware of uh, you know GMO and you know uh, Bernie Sanders is from Vermont so it kind of has like a streak of progressive uh, tradition yeah so a nice place really to formulate your artistic energy personality voice you know maybe I just got so precisely lucky as far as that goes where because I did a lot of my homework there you know, I I had great library at my disposal. UVM is one of the biggest, uh, oldest universities in the country there. And it's a great school. Like, people like Emerson were lecturing there. You know, it's just like, has the, it has the vibe. Yeah. It has the Rosencrucian vibe to it, you know, somehow. And um, so that, that library was just, I was going there like on a regular basis and basically probably could, they could just hand me like three diplomas from UVM <laughs> by the time I left Vermont without ever up- filling out the application there and um, yeah it, there was a lot of 
aloneness and seclusion and not all of it was great because it's so dark and the the, the winter is quite fucking miserable and intense to the point of really like paralyzing <laughs> but uh you know i think that the the ideas that i had brewing up in me they really actually all formed there because of all this a lot of solitude yeah you have that time to soak in yeah yeah i mean i yeah i i like everybody i and probably more than anybody i, I love getting extroverted and, and and festive and you know and expand and <laughs> you know and, and get loud and obnoxious <laughs> but basically everything that people call party but yeah. uh, my times there they were only festive in a very short brief periods it was mostly quite solitude yeah so you have that time to let it sink in as i was fighting depression i mean i was well it's, it's something that I, I a difficult situation to be yeah, a i mean i was in. i was constant. i was depressed enormously it was almost like it was debilitating yeah i mean i was struggling with that until i i moved to new york basically and were, were you at that point in time did you have a voice for the feelings that you had or had you not quite found that yet did that come when the move to new york happened and you were then thrown into that world of nightlife and art and um because you're uh for me an extremely charismatic individual and there must have come a point in time when you started to take ownership of that and inhabit that character right um well i don't have that much distance from myself to really reflect that far but yeah um i think that what was the impact then of the new york move here's something interesting that i think is the key to this situation uh manhattan indians this i learned very recently who were living in that area before you know uh invasion they dealt a lot of business on the island of Manhattan, but they were not residing there because they thought that the energy of that island is so intense that it's really just for doing business. Get in, get out. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I think that that's the key answer to this whole thing and uh, is the soil and the geographic it's a powerpoint which is why so much great art and music has come from there and everything and all the rest of the, of the of the good and the crap that takes place there too yeah you know is is it has this ongoing uh you, you know cosmically given power and uh, second part of the answer to this is that if you're a person who has that kind of a uh, a, a, a germ in you that resonates with that you will always stick out like this wounded <laughs> you know uh, ugly duckling in other areas that don't have that factor yeah 
And as soon as you go to New York, it clicks. And you become a swamp. And you become like a something else when you don't feel debilitated anymore. And uh, it shows, it manifests itself as a prolificness and high, which in other places manifests as a hyperactivity, you know, that like is due to be, sub, sub, you know, to sed, sedating <laughs> chemicals. And suddenly you don't need any therapy or anything like that. It's just like, this is my place. Because you've got the outlet. Yeah, well, it's, it's your place. The area. You know, and it's... And this kind of thing is observed in other areas. I mean, you know, if you have asthma, it's better for you to live in in a warm... Uh, in, in a, you know, the check of head asthma, he lived in Crimea, you know. And uh, Emerson... The, we mentioned before he was he was in a pretty poor like his uh, long he had some kind of long I think it was asthma too he was he went down to the south you know but and it clears up it's the same it's, it's whatever your cosmological elements are you gotta go back to where that is a friendly for your environment and I think New York despite its uh, <coughs> you know you know also miserable winter has the other vitamins that are quite great. And most of that answer is there. Yeah. You know, the rest is done basically by the, well, let's say the Lord. Let's say the Lord. <laughs> Without going too far. Yeah, that other energy. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So when does music become to be the uh, form of expression which you choose as your outlet in life? Is it a, a gradual, organic revelation? Do you know early on and chase it actively? Yeah, it's um, actually I'm. It's uh, I actually I can pretty much trace it almost to uh, precise. Uh, I have a very good hold of this situation. Um, 
I was introduced to a lot of music since the childhood. And uh, I was also introduced since the childhood to a lot of horrendous things like waking up early in the mo morning by force and going places, you know, like kindergarten and school and so on, like everybody else. And, uh, you know, all these restrictions and, and um, just kind of like all these monotonous routines, right? And as these routines start dawning on you, you know, you kind of start thinking, well, I have a good enough or okay enough insight into walk and talk that, that, that why do I need to like constantly take on more and more of this garbage how you know how and why do I need to like you know load myself up with more of this uh, unnecessary weight how to handle this situation I got it and then you notice that you know the sources of uh, the jolliness and, and joy and fun are just kind of start disappearing and so you start hu hunting for them and the very first one of them is you notice that uh, you know sugar <laughs> and music and athletic activities or physical activities give you the, the link to that to altered state of consciousness Natural highs, yeah, it and essentially yeah. endorphins, you know, essentially, essentially natural painkillers, yes, because our bodies produce a lot of painkillers, you know, and it produces a lot of, um, I forgot what the percentage, but I think it's like, I think that a body is capable of producing something of uh, 17% of uh, 17 of a dose of morphine that is given to patients and so is heroin and so on and so forth so I became an addict pretty early on you see <laughs> like very early on you learned what got you that e yeah. experience and feeling yes, for and sure and it was music and physical uh, you know dancing uh, playing drums um, making love well I was did, decayed away from that. Did that come later? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about very early on. I'm talking about like the first grade in the school. Right, 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 right. You right. know, yeah, um, yeah, I yeah. already, I was, I was really interested in kind of marathon idea. You know, my uh, my other uncle was a marathon runner. And so I thought the, it was very the human ambitious. potential physically. Yes, human potential. And so I was taking on these kind of tasks that you know well I'm not gonna run a marathon while I'm seven years old but maybe I can run like 10 kilometers and setting up these goals you know and and between music and these kind of and athletic activities I, I, I spend a lot of time basically in this boiling in my own endorphins mm -hmm. <laughs> and reveling it Yes, yeah. very much. And you also learn a lot about yourself, especially through running. Uh, because, you know, running is not nearly as enjoyable as, for example, playing music. It's actually quite fucking tedious. <laughs> but 
that's running circles on a stadium but running like cross country is adventurous because the weather can be quite terrible <laughs> or it can be really great so it becomes this kind of experience you know when you're really quite high and, and you reach running for like an hour well, don't you and then you push through that and then yes yes and plus you know well another really big driving force for this is that I was on, on a team with a lot of great girls that'll do you it know, yes and uh, you know and uh, that kind of like the whole athletic environment with really really beautiful um girls was just kept me kind of that was like the, that was the locomotive yeah <laughs> you know so it's just the way that whole i mean i, I undertook it essentially uh, eventually by like 10 9 10 years old i was on this kind of a professional running team so i was uh it was really physical at first you know just getting high and enjoying that and and kind of um then probably by the time 13 14 i started writing lyrics and form first band and uh you know seize the power in that band <laughs> without any uh idea of how to sing and just declamating basically my lyrics over it and propelling really all that kind of state of aliveness it's really what it was all about just and propelling still is about right it's really still is propelling state of aliveness that it seemed to be for no obvious reason such a rare experience for people you know it seems like it's so easy to step into uh uh, any kind of walk of life that gives you absolutely none of that you know and then it's it's uh, people need help with that I think to get uh, walked out of it at least for some periods of times I mean many much greater visionary minds undertook the task I mean like you know even recently I don't know like uh, it's all sorts of gurus out there but or like Bertrand Russell you know like the conquest of happiness you know how do you leave people out of there this fucking incredible doom they're they're all in so many yeah, people yeah, they're now so more than ever right? and the, the the answer is yes <laughs> sorry here hey man what's happening <laughs> Taylor yeah, what's going on? Yeah, I don't recognize you. Yeah, yeah we'll catch up later on the bar. Yeah, cool, <laughs> and I think it's just not doesn't have to really doesn't have to be that way. And I know a number of people that have quite successfully escaped that route. You know, not many though. No, and I think that now more than ever it's vital right and it's it should be cherished and protected and celebrated and well, it was vital like <laughs> always to, to always to uh, 2050 uh, you know 2500 years ago you know and when buddha was around it was already vital I and mean, that's why teachings appeared because people were already schizophrenics by that time yeah 
you know now I feel like the digital age has sped it up though right it's well, sped up this uh, yeah, I think zombification so many, of uh, Wayne Dyer has this novel about mm, uh, an alien person who comes to earth who who basically experiences everything we basically our civilization is neurotic is deeply neurotic and uh, it's been neurotic all along so you know to call somebody neurotic is like saying nothing absolutely and uh, just calling them human yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> at this point is uh, is basically you know the ho- homo neuroticus you know <laughs> and uh, and those kind of symptoms they're already described in the bible and in the gospels and you know, people of not knowing what to do with their life and what is it all about and who is their, what's their fucking origin. It's already all over the ancient texts. But now it's just, <laughs> it's obscured to the point where, like, people literally are um, ready to uh, be born in a fucking mall you know, and go to Gap and like fucking just circulate you know, be, the main stores. Circulate, circulate through the through break the, for a coffee at Starbucks. Yes, exactly, and you know, and die in a fucking Zara. Yeah, you know, right? and like that <laughs> yeah. would be like the end of it. That's great, you know. And then like you know, they put their life on fucking USB, and you know, whoever yeah, wants yeah, to yeah. fucking see that. And, and how many likes can we see get? That and, you know, and go and check out some interactive cemetery, and you know, whatever. So. Uh, Can I ask you something, Eugene, yeah. which is a big question? Um, maybe you've got an answer for it. Maybe there is no answer for it. Um, what for you is the meaning of existence? Why are we here, if there is a reason, for you personally? For me personally, I uh, did not know the answer to this for many, many years, and um, which is... Actually, nothing, nothing the album, the, na- unique, the, 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 yeah. the name of new album kind of reflects that internal conflict. Okay. <laughs> Seekers and finders. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really... Uh, the quest. Yeah, I think the quest, the, the, the ironic part of the quest is that, despite some of the teachings, is that to find, you have to f- stop seeking. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing, you know. Some, some cultures say to to find you first you must seek some say complete opposite opposite where is it at i don't know but what i'm pretty sure of is that um i think that we are here to learn to operate reality and 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 cooperate reality uh, to to I understand the operate part. What do you mean by the cooperate part? Literally cooperating as co co creating coexisting. No, no, no. Coexisting. That's this. That's a different topic. Uh, co creating meaning that participating fully in creation uh, of of the events because of the immense psychic power that we have 
and uh, it's either dormant, either not, but uh, it, we all have it. It's that, and uh, it's a huge creative uh, potential behind it. So, co-creating or co-operating the the whole spectrum of things is really. Uh, it's almost like what is, I think it's in the Book of the Dead of Tibetan uh, origin. It, it said, I think it's where it says that there is a diamond body that you have. It's a sort of a when this body passes away. By the way, I'm a strong believer in that. I'm siding with a theory of re reincarnation. So, so also, as a, just as a footnote. I'm operating from that perspective. The energy has to go somewhere because the yeah, world absolutely. is energy. And it has yes, to go absolutely. somewhere, doesn't it? And, and uh, it's not my choice. It's just what I resonate with. I resonate with that teaching. And I think that the, the idea of diamond body, which is sort of the spiritual, uh, body, spiritual essence, is it has many different... Um, uh, you know, sides and, and dimensions. And per one lifetime you polish one dimension so you know this one lifetime you may be actually working on patience or another one you might be working on your uh, you know skill of uh, say generosity or sympathy or so empathy uh, it could be uh, just general sense of composition yeah 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 <laughs> you yeah. know where you're going to be a complete dickhead but like you're going to get really really the fucking feng shui right you know <laughs> you know and uh, and all these things that keep revealing is a revolving door kind of thing of and um, through many lifetimes, I, I believe in my personal, um, you know, in, in my personal vision is that there will be a cumulatively uh, a, a, a diamond body that is indestructible. Does the payoff of all of those different learning lessons coming together as one to yeah, create I mean, one whole? Maybe there's payoff, maybe there's not, but uh, but I think that that's a worthy pursuit, you know. Yeah. And from, yeah. I like that answer, man. Well, I mean, I did not invent it. It's, no, it's no. the things that I resonated with most deeply. Yeah. Because European kind of existentialism is just kind of ends where it ends, and it ends with a gun on your head mm -hmm. to your to your head. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, that's the party. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And now it's over. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Jean-Paul Sartre, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan, but, <laughs> you know, I kind of, uh, I, I was excited to surpass that frame of mind, state of mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How do you stay sane and healthy on the road, just to switch topics? for a minute because touring's tough and I mean, it's but do i i mean i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i think i've never i've never been around you you may have those days you may not but i've never been around you and we've done a few of these now mm -hmm. where there's been any kind of bad energy coming off you or there's any sense of fatigue or uh frustration or like your your spirit is being dampened or your patience is running out or do you know i mean i never feel like you're having a bad time really? on, on the road i mean okay i mean that's good to hear i mean i've certainly been there yeah 
and as, as anybody else. I think that it, it's a strengthening overall experience to um, um, the whole the, the whole idea of touring is a kind of you know a lot of musicians hate touring most of them I know a lot of musicians a lot of them are my friends yeah they fucking hate it and that's not the show that's not the live show it's everything else around that that gets to that point I think that, they... that eventually a lot of them hate doing the <laughs> fucking show <laughs> the show as well but more yeah. but more so right it's the journey yeah. to get to the stage and everything else involved in that yeah the thing about trajectory. it is that it's because um... it's not for the faint hearted is it this life no it's not and and uh that's why a lot of people turn to drugs, and uh, and I don't want to be like sound like advocating, you know, the 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 devil, you know. But I, you know, I don't think drugs are nearly as bad as they painted to be, you know. And um, in the right hands, they're a positive thing, I think. It's just like fucking coffee, man. You know what yeah. I mean? He, he, alcohol, you can kill yourself with a coffee, too. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's a different degree. But you can arrive to that state of affairs without any drugs. You know? Yeah. I've been there <laughs> without any, uh, you know, opposite of uh, narcotic high. Mm -hmm. So the answer is... Um, this sort of a uh, pursuit of of a musician is a very multi-layered, and you know, if you're watching you know, those like documentaries or even those pseudo documentary movies, like on Jerry Lee Lewis and you know Johnny Cash, this this. These people drove the fucking car through like Oklahoma to fucking Tucson, Arizona from gig to gig. You know, and, and uh, Chuck Berry, you know, <laughs> I think he did it all his life long. He didn't want to pay like a bus driver even, yeah. you know. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not... It's part and parcel. The whole idea of the, deal, of the right? salon performance of like, you know, of a Prince Florizel appearing and is it, it's, it's a myth yeah. you know this is like you see people who are like really kick-ass motherfuckers yep. even though they appear to be with a silk scarf on stage mm -hmm. their physique and their energy is way above average yeah and uh, we I mean look at these people Chuck Berry you know, uh, Louis Armstrong. They're Keith just, fucking Richards, man. He's still yeah, they're doing strong, it. They're very strong, sturdy guys, actually, you know. And, you know, uh, Alice Cooper. Yeah. Jim, Iggy, you know. Uh, um, Nick Cave, you know. There's really strong individuals. Inside as much as in the physical form yes. as well. Yeah. It's really... I mean... This is just like a certain criteria that unites them all. There's other examples of people who are barely holding together. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there is, that, there is, a, there is like an internal lammy to all of these people, you know, who just kind of like really like no bullshit, like 
okay, this fucking thing is going to take this. Yeah. And let's go. What's your secret, though, was what I'm asking. And it's I want to know. It's not that different. You know, I mean. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, so if you, I mean, the Gogga Bordello live show is obviously a party and a celebration. When you come off stage, maybe occasionally the party continues. How do you then I the don't next see day? It as a party? No, I've never saw it as a party. So that's the the key. The party is something that is a, a byproduct, and it's completely lower fucking plane of activities. Right. For me, being on stage is very much a very high alert activity. And uh, not alert in the sense of thinking process, but it's very alert and perception and heightened and, and high it's very heightened and you know you know the the eye of the the the, the you know that kind of th- so-called third eye is very much in, in action there and i feel like i have a vision with, with the back of my head and of my bandmates and everything is really synergetic so that's the payoff of it all, really. I think that's really where I get most of my vitality from. Because the vitality is there. <laughs> it's not in uh, sitting in front of computer. Yeah. It's not in the front. It's not a uh, playing uh, <laughs> video games. It's not in the front of any kind of like a uh, activities that are unearthly. This is a very earthly yet cosmo cosmic experience and does keeping well physically keep you road sturdy do you think there's a lot of importance there to keeping like a well physical well it's like you know if you really want to be on your top game all the time you want to date like a really narcissistic woman right yeah 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 yeah. keeps you on your toes feel like it's just gonna keep you like on your toes at all times until you collapse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> Which would just be like one day out of nowhere. <laughs> so, dude, with that principle, the crowd is pretty narcissistic, kind of in that sense. They want you at your, at your best. So basically, the advantage of this situation is that I don't have to date most narcissistic woman. Because <laughs> you have <laughs> it every night in a collective I have this form. covered by a very demanding listener. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, you know, you, you know, in, you, they they in, in expect certain amount of things for, from you, and then you also always hammer them over the head with uh, newness of some kind, because you know you're a person and you progress through time and space rapidly. They've never seen you twice in the same frame of mind. No, you know, it never happened. Never, yeah. And uh, and you don't want you know you don't want you know audience to have control of your uh, identity. You just it's it would be detrimental to you as an artist. So y- you know you in their own spectrum, you're just one of the lighthouses in their sea. You know you're not the only one. There's they have others. And they're all different shapes and colors, yes, and they serve a different. And, but for light. that one particular lighthouse that you are for them, yeah, you know, you're the one who chooses the color, really. And um, and I, but I think that that is just this great co 
cooperation and co you know that you, you know you're being you because of them and they're being being them because of the way you are <laughs> you know and that's Definitely. one of the highest yeah. planes of existence really it's a push and a pull isn't it it's a it's a something great that a flow of energy back and forth yes it's a something great that musicians have and 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 a lot of them consciously cherish that it's something that they have perhaps uh, in a larger degree than say actors or painters or writers or uh, ballet or uh, well actually ballet is closer to that it's just so much drill um, because of that instancy yeah instantness of uh, experience you know just from experience I mean as, a, as an actor you don't experience any kind of gratification from what you do it's absolute zero at least I don't you know like that's like for I have no interest in doing that again because I imagine if you're on stage as a performer in a theater, you have that same thing, that push and that pull. But if you're just going retake, retake, retake... Yes, theater acting is, of course, much higher plane than, than, than... TV and film and documentary. Yeah, it's, it's really tough. It's like, wow, I don't know. That's, that's why I think those people get paid so much money, because of how detrimental it is to them, actually. And rewardless, really. It's, you're talking about party? There's no fucking party there. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Zero. <laughs> it's always miserable. It's it's too early in the morning to uh, to uh, to to enjoy to to wake up. You're talking yeah, about yeah. five thirty. It's which uh, is an ungodly and, and at the hour. end of the day, yeah. everybody's too tired to party. So uh, it's it's quite miserable form of life. How was your experience on the uh, Everything's Illuminated? Well, I just described journey. it to That was it. That was, that <laughs> well, was except it. Well, except that, that was I was the guy who, uh, uh, you know, rattled the fucking <laughs> apple cart and mm -hmm. didn't know the drill and, you know, showed up, like, to the set at 5.30 after a night of DJing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Which yeah. is why I appear to be basically falling asleep on a lot of scenes. <laughs> you know, like, you I'm like nodding were. out. You know, <laughs> was Elijah cool though? He seems like he's got good energy. He was very cool. Uh, I think that well, you know, Elijah and Leaf they both made quite uh, exemplary well through co cooperating with me. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, Lord knows sometimes they were forced to go. To five thirty, also <laughs> after my DJ night. <laughs> so, you know, it was a little bit of. Uh, I got a couple speeches of producers, you know, from producers that stop hanging out with the guys. No, it was more like <laughs> Eugene. Right now, you're not being the Eugene that we love. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> That's kind of thing. <laughs> I love it, man. Listen, Eugene, I always really enjoy, and I feel like I speak for myself. If I speak for both of us, then that's great. But I know I speak for me when I say that every time I spend time with you, I get something out of the ordinary in the best possible way, like a learning experience. Oh. And this is my right. gig, and it's not as uh, it's not as creative as yours, but I try and be creative and make it count. And I sometimes don't get that payoff. And whenever we spend time together, 
we sit down and we talk and I always feel like uh, I go away from it a better, more enlightened, more interested oh, person. Well, I'm I mean, grateful okay. for that. Uh, all right, thank you. Um, yeah, I think it's all there for the whale of all that kind of insight is there for everyone, really. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's available, you know. So, well, thanks for having me. My pleasure, dude. And let's talk. It'll kind of be weird to talk about it before it's happened. But Brixton, is that going to be the biggest show in the UK that's yours specifically? And is that a special moment for you? Do you feel like you've kind of reached a, uh, a certain... Uh, Brixton is always a great place to play. Uh, I think that this whole tour is pretty much just kind of has that spirit to it, you know, and uh, the UK is kind of a, it's a good place where we can modify our set list yet one more time towards being like adventurous in its full kind of spec. The UK is really where we get to display Gogol Bordell in full spectrum. I remember seeing you guys at Glastonbury in 2008, I think it was the year, uh-huh. and it was the worst rain uh-huh. ever. There was like, you know, eight inches of mud, and uh-huh. people were miserable before you guys came on, like miserable, soaking <laughs> wet, just hung over, to, you know, just it was a really classic. Like, it's like a war zone. Yeah. Yeah. And then you guys came out, and the whole place like instantly the curtain got lifted up and people just went behind and there wasn't a single like miserable face in the sea of however many thousands do you remember that show that one specific one that yeah i do remember that actually our friends from yeah yeah, yes were there uh yeah uh, i remember that (laughs) i felt like we were kind of uh taken over uk at the time yeah um along with them and yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, it's great because it kind of, you know, some people, you know, see things differently, and maybe in Italy or if we go to like say um, Romania, they kind of have more like a particular view of us as like where it's almost like almost forces the band to write the scenario of the evening and a kind of a way that kind of meets them the halfway and uh, it's just insane maniacal insanity you know and uh i feel like in uk we we can all we always get wider really just play stuff that's more obscure and it's always treated as as and always perceived as as an equal part, uh, you know, part part of the evening uh, as the maniacal insanity. Yeah, right on, dude. Yeah. Good to see you, my man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Start wearing purple, wearing purple. Start wearing purple for me now. All your sanity and wits, they will all vanish, I promise, it's just a matter of time, so yeah. Hold up. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 